0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: We need His mercy and His grace. I'm thankful for who he is, and I'm thankful that when we need him, he's there for us. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to turn your attention to the book of Acts, chapter two. book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 It's very very familiar passage of scripture there's no doubt that we've read this we've heard it preached we've heard it taught on probably more so in the last few weeks but I think that it's still fitting because it's what we're built on it's not just a story it's not just a storyline but it is actual foundational values that we need to hear over and over and over again. When I make notes and I want to remember something, I underline it. If I really want to remember it, I'll keep on underlining it. You know how you start with one long line, you just get smaller and smaller, you just underline it, underline it. There's nothing in this book that we can't continue to underline and underline and underline. We need to know it and we need to live it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, we're going to read through verse 47. The Bible says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. In verse 46, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so tonight we're just going to focus primarily on verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so for just a few moments I want to talk to you about the pattern of Pentecost. Pentecost. Can we lift our hands to heaven right now? Let's pray one more time. We need the anointing of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, Lord God, for this word, this infallible word. God, and we don't take for granted that you've allowed us to come into this place to break open this bread. God, to hear it, to live it, to know it. I'm asking you to commit it to us, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to open up every Part of our mind to receive the word of God tonight. Anoint my mouth to speak it, Lord, and we'll forever praise you, forever and ever. For you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. You may be seated. I'm thankful for Pentecost. I'm thankful for the experience of Pentecost. I'm thankful for that experience and what it means to us as apostolic men and women. There is no greater experience than that of Pentecost, repenting of your sins, having them washed away in a pool of baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. However, I am truly thankful that after that initial experience, that we are not left to ourselves to find our own way without any direction. I'm thankful for the experience of Pentecost, but I'm thankful that God has instituted a plan, not only for our initial salvation, but a pattern to live by to ensure that we and future generations not only survive, but that we flourish under him. And so tonight, we're just going to talk about that pattern, that pattern of Pentecost you see, the new spirit-filled believers, they set a daily pattern for us to adhere to. They set a daily pattern of truth, a daily pattern of unity, of fellowship, of praise, and of prayer. And so for us to do that, for us to understand what they did, and for us to do what they did, the thing that we need to do is the first thing that they did, and that is to develop godly spiritual disciplines. You see, the early Christians who first received the Holy Ghost developed those daily disciplines that enhanced their personal growth as well as set a course for ongoing maturity in the body of Christ at large. They began to adopt a pattern of pursuing after truth, of pursuing after fellowship, that praise to God and that prayer to him as well. And so, Those are not just vital things for them to follow, but we have to follow them as well, even in the 21st century. In a book titled A Man's Guide to Spiritual Discipline, Twelve Habits to Strengthen Your Walk with God, Patrick Morley wrote about important spiritual disciplines for men. However, I believe that these disciplines not only are for men, but they should be for every believer as well. He wrote, spiritual disciplines are the regular practices men cultivate when they want a closer walk with Christ. The spiritual disciplines can help us break a cycle or get out of a rut. And These disciplines are the spiritual habits by which we cultivate a deeper relationship with the Lord of heaven and earth. We perform the disciplines because we want to please God to lead peaceable lives, to be godly husbands and wives and to raise godly children and to be people of God. You see, as the church continues to grow, and it will because it's God's plan, as long as it continues to grow and if it grows and advances in the kingdom of God, its progress will depend on one thing, and that is each individual believer. You see, each individual believer has to institute these disciplines in their own lives in order for us to come together and grow individually and corporately. You see, as only as individual members of Christ's body grow by exercising their, their personal spiritual disciplines does the church advance and been, begin to grow as a movement. Let me just pause here and say this. Everyone in this building, under the sound of my voice at this very moment, you are, without a shadow of a doubt, the future of the church. There's no doubt about it. Not just locally, not just here in this, in this body of believers, but, but abroad, globally. You see, the decisions that you make now, the decisions that I make now, will not only affect our present, but it will most undoubtedly affect our future. It is vital to our walk with God that we develop principles in our lives now. We can't wait till in the morning. We cannot wait until next week. But we have to do that now. You see, it's imperative that we secure those spiritual disciplines in our lives today because we can't afford to wait until tomorrow. You see, future versions of ourselves, our future family, Our future children can't wait for us to wait until tomorrow to develop those disciplines today. You see, our children are looking to us now. We can't wait until tomorrow to start talking right and to start living right and to start doing right because we'll find ourselves 3,000 miles down the road and our children will be grown and have watched us do the wrong thing all their life. You see, the church must continue in the same pattern that was established on the day of Pentecost. We can't afford not to. You see, the church is the body of Jesus Christ on earth right now. And the people of God in that church are the, are the ones that he has given eternal salvation, a new life and whom he's called and commissioned to carry out his work among humankind. The word pattern defined is a, is a model or a template designed to replicate the original multiple times through precise duplication. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word pattern as a form or a mold proposed for imitation, something designed or used as a model for making things. And so the Lord has called believers, men and women, such as ourselves, to be like him, to pattern ourselves after him or to imitate him. You see, that's our theme, whether we knew it or not, for our 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 organization as a whole, this 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 year, twenty sixteen. We started out with thirty days of prayer. If you remember that card had the word follow at the top of that card. We are to follow what He has already instituted. You see, the word follow in the King James Version of the New Testament is translated from the Greek word mimetes, which means literally an imitator, a follower. So, to truly follow Jesus Christ, to truly follow after him, is to imitate him. Not just walk behind, but to do the things that he did, to duplicate his actions and to pursue his purpose. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, and our purpose can be no different. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He said again in Ephesians 5 and 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself, For us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And So those are deep words. Those are not just words on a page. But if we're really going to follow him, then we have to do what he did. You see, as early believers followed Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, they were establishing that pattern for all Christians who would follow them in successive centuries they established a pattern of faithfully adhering to the truths of Scripture and diligently pursuing and practicing unity, fellowship, praise, and prayer. I can't say that enough. Those all are vital components of everything that we stand for today, and we cannot allow any of them to fall by the wayside. These spiritual disciplines continue to sustain the church, and they continued to bring it forth in its divine mission on earth. And so let's look a little bit closer at what that pattern really is. Among the patterns established by the early church, none were more vital than their faithful adherents. Hear me. First and foremost, the apostolic doctrine. That is the most important part. You see, the teachings of Jesus Christ were applied and taught by the early church, not just seen, not just heard, but applied. They became that primary glue that held everything together, everyone and everybody. And there's two aspects of that apostolic doctrine. The first is precept or principle. Part of that precept is that Jesus Christ called 12 men to follow him, There's that word again, follow him, to imitate him, and to do everything that he did on his earthly ministry. And they would become the apostles, the men who they would be charged to carry out his plan, forward following his departure. Now, I know that we all know this. (laughs) I know that. We know this frontward and backward. But I've already said we can't afford to let any of this fade into the background but we've got to hold this banner high in a world that is, is quickly following after anything but truth. We've got to follow after the principles of truth that he taught. His earthly ministry formed the central core around which the church is now built and unified. It was the center in which all future generations of believers would come together over the course of more than 2,000 years. If you remember, there were so many men that would come about that would teach things and and, and the apostles were were taken in in captivity for preaching in the name of Jesus. And somebody spoke up and said, just let them go. Because if if it's of God, there's nothing you can do about it. But if it's not, it'll just fade away. And we've seen doctrines come and we've seen doctrines go. But we have always known that the name of Jesus that water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, 2,000 plus years later, is still going strong today. It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. And it's what's going to unify us. And it's what's going to strengthen us and center us in the apostolic doctrine today. That's all centered and hinged on one scripture, many, but one tonight that I'm going to speak directly to. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say names, he said name. We know that name is Jesus, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The book tells us that Even Paul understood this. Acts 15 and 35 says that Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Verse 18 in in chapter 11 or chapter 18 of, of Acts says, and he continued there a year and six months, speaking of Paul, teaching the word of God among them, and so for any institution to thrive, for any institution or movement to grow, it must have a core of beliefs and it must have a core precept that will unify those people involved in that institution. It cannot go forward without it. You see, the church, for the church, to have any future, we have to keep our hands tightly wrapped around Acts 2.38. There's no other way around it. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We know that through baptism in Jesus' name and in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so these beliefs, these core values, they must be rooted in what Jesus and the apostles did and taught. And so for us to understand what we must do to be saved and to help others do the same to be saved, we must read we must study, and we must live out this book. We must. Which brings us to the second aspect of apostolic doctrine, which is practice. We talked about precept. We talked about principle. But precepts and principles are only one half of the total equation. Precepts and principles are, In and of themselves and all alone by themselves are nothing without practice. Now that we have precepts, we must put them into practice. You see, knowing the truth is absolutely essential. Knowing what to do is absolutely vital to a believer. But knowledge without applying what you know or putting into practice is of little value. It would make no sense for a man to go to college and spend seven years learning medicine, everything that he needs to know to learn that craft, to, to devote his whole life in knowing and learning and then not leaving that place and putting what he knows into practice. Practice gives us what we need for apostolic doctrine. James said this, to know what is right but to fail to do what is right is sin. Startles me. To know what to do is right. And I'm talking to me. But not doing it is a sin. You see, it's, it's easy for us to take this scripture and relegate that passage of scripture to only worldly sin. When we think of sin, we think of having a pack of smokes or a can of beer at our hand. I mean, it's just our nature. That's what we go to. And so for us to read that, to know what is right but fail to do what is right is sin. So we know we're not supposed to do those things. But if we do, we know there's sin. It's easy for us to take that one part and leave it in the hands of worldly sin all alone. But hear me, it goes much deeper than just worldly sin. Failure to carry out what we know And what we understand to be truth is sin. When we don't do what we know is right, it becomes sin to us when we fail to do it. If we know the truth, if we know that the truth liberates, if we know that the truth can change a life from sinner to circumference, if we know that the truth of God's word can find its way into the darkest den and shine light that would change the life of any man, if we know that and we fail to tell someone that we know is deep, dark, in the middle of sin, we don't tell them that. That becomes sin to us because how can I withhold information if I know that it's going to save someone's soul how can I walk past someone that I know they need God with everything that is within them and I keep my mouth closed I know truth but I don't put it into practice how can we withhold something someone needs and so we're to study the word we're to study the life and the doctrine of the apostles and we're to follow them with every action that we have, Philippians 4 and 9, for those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Everything that we know, everything that we hold in our hand tonight is the key to salvation. And so I can't help but think that when we walk into a job Or if we walk into a store and we understand that there's someone standing there that we know they need God. We simply close our mouth and walk the other way. Where are we going to be in eternity if we do that? And I promise you, I'm talking to me. We've We've got to take this truth and take it to the ends of the earth. We must follow their example in everything that they did. One thing they did was that they were unified. We must consider the things that brought unity to the early church. We must understand that it will be the same thing that will continue to bring unity to the church today. You see, truth never changes. These core principles, they establish unity among us as we commit ourselves to live by them just as they did. One thing... They had all things common, and they were all in one accord. Some early church members had a communal approach to serving the Lord in which they sold their possessions and brought the proceeds to the apostles for distribution, and they tended to the individual needs of all the believers. We see this. I won't read it for sake of time, but Acts 34, 34 through 37, 5, 1 through 2, and Acts 6 and 1. Now, while it would be relatively easy for a person to look at this and, and somehow conclude that these verses are some demonstration of God's endorsement as a socialistic approach to life, would be a simplistic analysis of the Scripture for several reasons. Number one, there is no evidence in Scripture the practice continued beyond the early days of the fledgling church in Jerusalem. Two, there is evidence the church in Jerusalem ended up in dire financial straits later, which may or may not have resulted from this practice. But we know that Paul received offerings from believers throughout Asia Minor to assist those believers in Jerusalem at a later date. And three, the Jerusalem church was to encounter circumstances in which the believers soon would be scattered abroad because of persecution, which would drive them from their Possessions. I said all that to say this, to look at that as a socialistic way of life would be incorrect. One commentator said this, he observed the pending dispersal of the believers in his commentary by this. He said, the greatness of that event, that Pentecostal experience, raised them above the world. And the Holy Ghost filled them with such love. Has made everyone to be one to another as to himself, and so made all things common, not by destroying property, but doing away with selfishness and causing charity. And God moved them to it, and they knew that they were quickly, he knew that they were quickly to be driven away from their possessions in Judea. And so there's several important things to understand about them having all things common. The Holy Ghost filled them with a desire to want to give to each other. It was not forced upon them. It was not taken from them to give to someone else. But the Spirit of God within them made them and wanted them to abandon human selfishness. And they exercised a great sense of charity towards each other in need. And they loved God more and they loved his work more than they loved their own possessions and these are still noble aspirations for believers today. But these attitudes do not require radical socialism. The, the fact of this is this. The culture of the early church should not be used to, to suggest this lifestyle always reflects God's intention for a people because what they were doing here was descriptive and not prescriptive. In other words, it was a record that the early church did and it was a model for us to follow. We understand this because God has used believers in this capitalistic culture today to take this gospel to the farthest reaches of this, of this world. So the next thing we need to look at is the fact that they were with one accord. This indicates that they shared the same mind or the thoughts about spiritual experience, their mission, and their passion in the church, and they existed in harmony and in agreement. Hear me today, there is no greater basis for unity in this church than for individuals to seek to live harmonious with each other. We cannot be at contention with each other if we expect to get God's message out and if we expect to further this gospel in this world. Let's just face it today. We are not all alike. We don't come from the same walks of life, but we are unified in the Spirit of God through the Holy Ghost, and we have become a body of believers with genuine unity. The next thing is that they were daily in the temple. They contributed to the unity that they enjoyed because they were daily in the temple. They came together for prayer. They came together for praise. They came together for fellowship, and that built a strong foundation for that harmony and that unity. Now, it's certainly strengthening t- to know that believers gathered together daily. But we understand that in our urban and even in our rural environment, it would be difficult for us to come together in a daily sense. But what this is speaking to is a pattern, a pattern of faithfulness that they had together, that they came together every time that the doors were open. And so that's the pattern that we need to follow today. That every time the doors are open in this house, I want to make a point to be here. I understand that we're going to have things that are going to come up that's going to prevent us to be in the house of God. But I want to make every effort that I can. So much more as I see the day approaching, I want to make my way to the house of God. This is very important. You see, if we as modern believers gather only a few times a week, how much more important is it that we make a concerted effort to be here? I've already said it, but let me say it again. Hebrews 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The apostles, they broke bread from house to house. Acts two forty-two and 46 mentioned the practice of the early believers breaking bread At home. Some believe that this even referred to receiving communion. But others just see it as fellowship. The fact of the matter is. Is that they were together. We cannot make it on our own. There's absolutely no way. There's going to be some things that are going to come against you. There are going to be some things that are going to come against me. That I'm going to need my brothers and my sisters to lift me up in prayer. Not only prayer, but sometimes we need to just be together. We are brothers and we are sisters. Is that not right? And so we are family, and we need to find ourselves together as much as possible. Christian fellowship was important to them. It needs to be important to us because it's vital to our survival. It creates bonds and connections that enhances every individual's spiritual strength. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 a threefold cord is not quickly broken and so quick Christian fellowship is important for every believer and we should not strive to make it through this life all alone they continued in prayer and they continued in praise they practiced and they practiced everything that they did together it was most important that they came together for prayer and praise. It's the final thing that's mentioned in Acts two, and it brought strength and it brought unity to them as they continued in this corporate worship. It's beyond important for us to pray together. It is more important for us to worship together. You see, doing so builds strong bonds of unity and it enhances and furthers the corporate work of the church and it strengthens us together as the Spirit of God can flow from vessel to vessel in this place. And see, when we do this, when we come together in unity, when we bind together in one heart and one mind and one accord, we have a promise. We have a promise that he's going to be here, that he's going to show up, and that he's going to speak his word to us. And what will follow will be tremendous, tremendous blessing. You see, the positive patterns established by the early church not only provided a tremendous model for believers today, but it also brought about numerous blessings for the early Christians who practiced them. Many wonders and many signs were done by the apostles. You don't have to look far to see the accounting of numerous blessings upon the early church. You see, God worked through the believers to manifest many signs and many wonders of his miraculous power, healing, dead raised to life, miraculous provisions of sustenance, words of knowledge and wisdom, and many, many others. And the list could go on and on. One One such instance is in Acts 3, chapter 1 through 11. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the, at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking, And praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. I'm thankful for men like Peter and John who were on their way to the temple for prayer. But they had time to stop and give something to someone that was not worth anything that we could ever measure it by. They encountered this lame man who sat daily at this place begging alms. And Peter and John, just like me, just like me, and I'm not saying this for sympathy, but they didn't have no money. (laughs) They didn't have nothing. He said, silver and gold have I none but I've got something that you can't measure with worth with our money. I've got something that's going to take you from where you are and take you where you need to be. And I'm not going to leave you here. I'm not going to walk past you and just give you a sliding glance and go on in and lift my hands and raise my hands and thank God for everything he's done in my life. But I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to take you with me into that place and we're going to lift our hands together and we're going to love him together because that's what it's all about. Peter gave him the name. He gave him more than anything that he could ever need and he rose up and he walked on his own two feet. He could go now and get his own job, make his own money because he got something that he needed rather than something that he thought he wanted. He walked, he leapt, and he praised God and went into the temple with them. The healing of this man at that gate was only the beginning of the miraculous provisions among the early church. The book of Acts is filled, completely filled with the numerous accounts of miraculous things as the believers spread all across Asia Minor carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And that could only do what God wanted to do, and that added to the church daily, which is his plan. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we don't, we don't necessarily need silver and gold. I'm thankful that we can walk into a hospital room and say I don't have anything that can buy your way out of here but I got a name that is above every name and I've got the faith enough to lay my hands on you and pray in that name and he said if you'll do it I'll make them recover. He said he would be with us and so if we really believe what we say we believe we'll put that into practice. The Bible says that the church was added to daily such as should be saved. So out of all of those miracles, all the healings, all the, all the dead raised to life, all the, the things that the apostles wrought by their hands through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, the greatest miracle that they and we could ever experience, could ever encounter was salvation. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is the greatest miracle that anyone could ever experience. As they continue faithfully in those disciplines, they witness God adding souls to the church daily. In fact, over the course of the next few days and even months, New Infant Church was added thousands of individuals to that church daily. Daily. The record we have of members added to the church includes 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 men in Acts 4 and 4, in multitudes of women and men in Acts 5 and 14. And these were only the records that we know about. The Bible says if everything were written that could be written, the world could not contain the book. So surely there are innumerable other additions beyond those recorded in Scripture. In fact, we are experiencing that even so today. I am not a proponent of social media, But I do pull it up from time to time, and I am so thankful at the reports that I see at our global missions, at thousands of people that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in one instance, in one service, over and over and over again. He said, I'll give you the former rain and the latter rain together, and that's where we are today. We're seeing His Spirit poured out over and over and over again. And so the thing about it is, is that the pattern of Pentecost continues. That exciting news, that pattern laid out by the apostles and the early believers, it still continues today. Truth, unity, regular gatherings for worship and fellowship, the joy of the Lord. Prayer and praise all continue to be the pattern within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ along with the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Hear me, the apostles left us a pure pattern to follow. When we seek to replicate in our spiritual experience the model of the early church, we continue to witness the same results that they experienced. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that that was not relegated to one time? But we can still experience today just as they did. God called this church to continue in the principles and in the truth that was first delivered on the day of Pentecost. But he asked us, he admonished us not to just stay right there, but to go on unto perfection. He's called us to go on to spiritual unity. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permit. Now, sadly, some have misunderstood the words of the writer of Hebrews. And they have wrongly assumed that doctrine was only for the early church. But that modern, that our modern church was not meant to do the things that they did. And that teaching that they taught was not to go beyond where they were. But I'm thankful. I don't mean any disrespect to them. But I'm thankful that they were wrong. I'm thankful that they were wrong. And I'm thankful that God is right. Because it's his pattern The writer, he did not suggest that we abandon those teachings any more than a building can abandon its own foundation. You see, he stated that those teachings of truth and of doctrine are to remain the foundation of the church because it's what the church is built on. It's built on truth, and we must never abandon them. We must build upon it. The writer was pointing out our need to grow spiritually as we build upon the foundations of the fundamental doctrines of the apostle. God has called us to maturity. And we are to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the scripture because we can't stay as babes, but we have to grow up in God and be mature in Him. And that goes beyond. Let me just, we need to be mature. We need to be mature. God has called us to do that, to grow in understanding. We must never stop growing, and we must never stop advancing spiritually. We cannot be stagnant. We cannot stay in one place, because the fact of the matter is this. If we're not moving forward, we are moving backward, because there, are, there, is, no neutral, there is no neutral part of God. You're either hot or or you're either cold. Because if we're lukewarm, we know that he's going to spew us out of his mouth. We are still living the book of Acts today. We've never left the book of Acts today. We are still there. And so we, we must continue to live like we are in the book of Acts today. Without those principles, we have no foundation. We will collapse as the building that was built upon the sand. And I'm closing if our musicians will come. As the disciples were committed to truth, so must we be committed to truth. I know that we hear this, I know that we understand this, and we have this down pat. But understand this we live in the real world. And we live with a real adversary that is for everyone in this room. He is after every single one of us. And he will mix a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie. And the next thing we know, we're a thousand miles from where we began if we're not rooted and founded in this truth. Just as a building grows upon its foundation, we must grow upon the foundation of this truth we cannot abandon it because we will we will fall and we will go away from here without without that foundation. We must never abandon the truths of Scripture. Once delivered to the saints, Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's not a that's not a request. That's not something that we should just gloss over and read over. But if he took time enough to put pen to parchment to say you must earnestly contend for the faith, he must have seen something coming in the future that would that would take us away or had the potential for taking us away from what we know is right. See, the early church set a pattern for all believers to achieve that unity through a shared common spiritual experience, harmonious relationships with one another, regular gatherings for prayer, for praise, and for worship because we need each other, and corporate fellowship with joy and spiritual contentment. As we follow the pattern, we will experience what they experienced. But we cannot expect to get what they got, the results that they got, if we're not willing to do the things that they did. They were willing to give up their lives for the Lord. They were willing to take everything that they had and give it away if it meant for them to walk with God as he wanted them to. And so as we follow that pattern, we'll experience the same blessings the same miracles, the same wonders, the same signs that the early church began on the day of Pentecost. Because it's God's plan. It's God's plan. It's God's plan for us to continue. It's God's plan for us to be the men and women that He's called us to be. Can we stand together tonight? Can we lift our hands to heaven right now? And can we thank Him for His plan, for the pattern? Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, for everything you've done. Jesus, we thank you for this word. God, help us, Lord, to hold fast to the truth that we know. God, help us to wrap our arms around it, God, to give you everything that we have. Jesus, to fulfill your purpose in this world. God, we need you right now to touch our minds, God. Help us, Lord, to lean in tighter, to lean in more than we've ever leaned in before, Lord. God, to give you everything. We praise you. We magnify your holy name. We love
0: you, Jesus. Can we sing this together?